0: To us. Fires, touchdown, Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we're going to get deep into the mailbag. I have a bunch of your questions here, ready to roll in the post-first post, post first wave, first couple of weeks of free agency here on the off-season calendar. And speaking of the off-season, the program kicks off today in Miami Gardens. We'll talk about that and the mailbag here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast from somewhere in South Florida. This is, that's right, the Drive Time Podcast. Another Miami Dolphins so the off-season program kicking off today. Now, the offseason schedule or program has evolved in recent years, as the NFL tends to do. We talked about that in the Friday podcast about how much I appreciate the NFL's ability to recognize things that can be improved upon, fixed, or just, you know, ideas they want to work out with new rule changes and things of that nature. And I think that's one of the best things about this league. And with the off-season program, you've got different phases that kick off with weights and conditioning. Uh, Then you finally get to some on-field work without pads, you know, some stuff like routes on air. And you guys know our social team is going to have the content to get you through this football list portion of the calendar. Like football is 12 years around, right? Dolphins football is for sure too. And we've all been enjoying the player acquisition period. But now as you get into the spring and summer months where there's not a lot of on-field product outside of the OTA practices, uh, which is what we go by, right? What what gets us through this part of the calendar alongside baseball, the basketball playoffs. um, The the World Cup just had their draw last week as well. Go USA. Uh, But this content is what we all look forward to more than anything else, and you know our social team is going to have you covered on that stuff. The new guys in the Aqua and Orange, and just keep that excitement building and, and rolling right into training camp, since I know all of you, just like me, are absolutely dying for football. So then after those, we get the rookie mini camps and eventually OTAs, and before you know it, that little summer break, And then right back for training camp when the season unofficially, officially really begins. I mean, truth be told, there's what? There's like 12 different days in the calendar where we always say the league starts today. The new league year is the one of them. Uh, the start of OTAs is one of them. The start of training camp is one of them. The start of the regular or preseason is one of them. The start of the regular season is also one of them. But we love checking those boxes along the way. And we'll have you covered here on Drive Time, on MiamiDolphins.com, on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, everywhere that we are, we are everywhere, we'll have Dolphins content for you on this Miami Dolphins off-season program. So keep an eye out for that. And today on the podcast, we're just doing the mailbag. You know, talk about improving yourself and bettering your show or your product. One thing I want to do better this year is get to more of your questions because I always found a way to get the mailbag on the podcast last year, but it was always... I always felt like I was leaving questions on the field because you guys put out so many of them and I appreciate that so much. I want to go ahead and make sure we get more comprehensive here and get to more of your questions and we have a bunch to get to today. So why don't we go ahead and start that off. It's probably the reason I'm talking so fast right now. Slow it down, Travis. And I want to kick it off here with the iTunes reviews, the Apple podcast reviews, because We haven't read those in a while, and you guys have put some good ones up there. Let's go ahead and start with this one. And this uh, Ski Balls 903, man, what a great review this was! I really appreciate this. Five stars. I have only recently began listening to podcasts, and of course, first and foremost, I started searching for good sources for all my sports teams. Drive Time, more specifically, Travis Wingfield himself, is the best of all I've listened to across the board. Travis gives you all the inside information on players, the team, and the NFL as it pertains to the Dolphins. Not only that, he does it with such a personality that is professional, but also far from dry. You can tell how passionate he is about this team, the organization, and his pride in his work. It makes for an amazing balance and makes the podcast not only informative and insightful, but. Also also enjoyable and easy to listen to. I agree with a piece of another review I read. You're not truly a Dolphins fan if you're not listening to this podcast. Keep up the great work. Fins up. Check is in the mail, sir. Thank you so very much. That was so kind of you to say. Next one here from Sparks. Is this Cameron Sparks? If it is, how you doing, man? I appreciate listening to the show. And if you're not Cameron Sparks, we also appreciate that too. But one-stop shop for every Dolphins fan. If you think you're a Dolphins fan and you don't listen to this Dolphins podcast, then you're not really a Dolphins fan. Travis follows every aspect of the team inside and out and brings it all together in an easily digestible form. Being part of the team itself, he has remarkable access to players and coaches and management, and he makes the most of it. He's a great interviewer who coaxes the best and most relevant information out of his interviewees. He also adds so many of his own valuable insight, invaluable insights and personalizes the show with his own experiences and life stories. Do not miss this podcast. I feel like the last these last two reviews... Again, I go back to that. I've talked about this before, that scene on Forgetting Sarah Marshall with Paul Rudd and... No, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, no. Jason Segel and Russell Brand out in the um, in the in the ocean getting ready to surf. And Russell Brand tells him he's like this dark Neil Diamond, goth Neil Diamond type of vibe. He's like, that's exactly what I'm going for. Those last two reviews, that's exactly what I'm going for. So I appreciate you guys so very much. This one from Zach C12. Is this Zach Colin from Perfectville? Could be. If not, we appreciate it too. Uh, best Dolphins coverage out there. This show rocks in every way you can imagine. And Travis is a wizard behind the mic. Keep it up, man. Thank you. We'll do our best here. So we appreciate those write-ins, those reviews. Uh, here's a two-star review from Dolly Miami 2021. Mike McDaniel interview. Coach has a real analytical approach. I love this guy already, but two stars. Was that a mistake? I don't know. We don't hold it against you. But sincerely, guys, those, those Apple podcast reviews, the podcast reviews in general, even if it's a one star review it really helps us get more discoverability and that's all we ask of you here on drive time is just to help Grow our brand and help us uh, get out to more Dolphins fans because according to the reviews, I think a lot of Dolphins fans would agree. This is a good podcast to learn about your team. That's what I'm going for at least. And if uh, we get more discoverability out there, it only helps us grow. And that really, really helps me and and the entire idea here behind drive time. So we appreciate you guys doing that. All right, enough of the reviews and the, uh, the propping up here. I mean... You guys wrote them, but I read them, so I wanted to get to those on the podcast. Let's go ahead and get to your questions now here on the Twitter mailbag. If you guys put a review in the Apple Podcast, I'm going to read it on the air for you. So if you want to make sure you get your spot, put us a five-star review up there and get it in the Apple Podcast reviews. And if you want to ask a question on Twitter, that also works as well, but I can't guarantee you get into those questions. We start here with Wrestling Panda. What are the chances you can hook a brother up with some F1 Miami tickets? So the Miami Grand Prix, uh, less than slim to none, my man. I appreciate you asking, but full transparency, not going to happen. <laughs> At Wiki M asks, hey, Travis, huge fan since the LOD days. That's Locked Lockdown Dolphins. I tell my wife all the time, we watch the same things, have a daughter around the same age and also have the same mentality on camping. I love it. Camping's the worst. <laughs> Keep up the great work. What was a bigger trade for the franchise, Ricky Williams or Tyreek Hill? First, I want to go ahead and acknowledge what you just said, because I find myself doing this with other podcasters where like, that's what podcasting does, right? It makes you feel like you're friends with the host, even though you've never met the person. And I find myself doing that all the time. Like, oh, if I ever meet this guy, I'll just go up to him and talk about this, this, and this. And he's like, well, I don't know you, man. So it's funny. I'm glad to see it work both ways there. But uh, yeah, I would love to, you know, if you ever come down this way, go go grab a drink and, and watch a college football game or something uh, the day before a Sunday game. But who was the bigger, or what was a bigger trade for the franchise, Ricky Williams or Tyreek Hill? Well, I think it's early to, to make that proclamation because you have to see what Tyreek Hill does, right? Ricky had two really good years. His first year here was an MVP caliber season back in 02, where he rushed for 1,853 yards and 16 touchdowns. That stat is lodged into my brain. Don't have to look that up. He's my favorite Dolphin of all time. Then 3 the yards per carry dipped. Still had 1,300 yards, but it was, you know, a lot more difficult sledding that season. The passing game didn't really take a lot of pressure off the running game. And then he retired, and right in the middle of his prime, came back the following season after a four-game suspension, and gave us some production in 5 Missed 06 and 07, came back in 08, was part of the Wildcat team, and 09 was awesome then as well, and then went on to the Ravens and had some more good production there. So I think it's it's hard to quantify because we haven't seen what Tyreek Hill has done yet, but I think it's, it's pretty comparable because you have two very accomplished players, right? We all know what Ricky Williams was when he got traded for. We all know about Tyreek Hill. Six years of pro, six Pro Bowls. That's phenomenal. Skilled players, guys that you can certainly design an offense around, or at least a a good group of offensive packages for either of those guys. So I think you're in the right ballpark as far as who is going to be more impactful. The book on that is not written yet. Ricky was very impactful. We hope the same of Tyreek Hill. At Thane Young asks, Hey Travis, what would you anticipate the defensive scheme and play calling to look like next year? Um, I think there's... It's, it's tough to say it because, I mean, you, we talked about this on a Friday, right? Bringing the band back, getting everybody back together with Ogba and Roberts and Guavin and Riley, and you've got Coach Austin Clark and Coach Campanelli and Josh Boyer running the whole thing with Sam, Pat, and Stephen Gregory in the defensive backfield now and all the coaches we have on the defensive side of the football and the players and and all the familiarity with what was a rush heavy man, heavy coverage scheme the last couple of seasons, but also did a good job of mixing in their zone and mixing in playing, you know, four man rush and playing coverage and split safety and single high. So I think that's kind of, that's kind of what it looks like to me, a variety of the things that this defense does best, which what this defense does best is finds a way to lock down receivers on the outside with two very versatile explosive safeties and a third also there with Eric Rowe and what he does. So three of them really, uh, linebackers that can rush the quarterback that can do multiple things, a defensive line that's deep and has a good rotation and uns and selfless guys, unselfish or selfless either, or that do a good job of setting picks for each other. So I think versatility, I think, you know, there's a question here about pass rush production here in a minute. That I'll get to, but how much they produced the last couple of seasons in terms of pass rushing with, sending extra rushers. That would be what I anticipate, but you never know. We'll see how it evolves for this Dolphins team as they get a look at these guys in training camp and into the season. It'll evolve as we go along. Next one here from at J K bunch of numbers. If you have a bunch of numbers behind your handle, that's how we're going to talk about it here on the podcast. Hey Travis, why does Tua get such a bad rap when he's had very minimal tools to work with? Seems like he's always been bashed and thought of as bad. Personally, I think he's been good. What kind of progression are you looking for from him this season? Well, as far as minimal tools to work with, I think that's subjective. I mean, you know, Waddle was a a big piece that was added for him last season. Uh, There's been some draft picks along the offensive line as well. Uh, You know, some connections to the play callers and, and coaches on the offensive staff as well. But, you know, now you look at it and you look at Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill and Teron Armstead and Connor Williams, certainly four guys that are going to help him big time. Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds will certainly have an impact on that as well. And just the additions they made on offense with speed. And I keep talking about the play action passing here on the podcast and how he's really excelled in that regard and how I think that the Dolphins, with a strong running game with a Raheem Mostert and with a Chase Edmonds and Miles Gaskin and Savon Ahmed and those guys, if they can help increase the rushing production from what it was a season ago can only help improve the play action passing game as far as for so for his progression goes you know i i expect you know to, to have that progression continue i think he was better last year than he was his rookie season i think that's the expectation to continue to get better and improve in his game and just take steps in key areas that can help him like you mentioned i mean there was some really good stretches of play last year where even the biggest attractors, like I know, Colin Cowherd loves to to mix it up. But last year, after the Panthers or Giants game, or in that range, he was he had a whole segment about how you can win with Tua. There's there's a lot of things that Tua does well. So there was moments where he played well enough to even the biggest detractors, like yeah, this is a pretty good production. Looks pretty good out there. So I think that as far as why it is that way, I just think you you look at a kid that when he first came out of you know first got to college he accomplished the the mountaintop his first year there and did it in such dramatic fashion where you saw like ice water in the veins. And sometimes when guys get to that level that early, there's like an overcorrection. The same thing happened with Trevor Lawrence. Remember his freshman year, he came out and balled out and played really well in the national championship game, won a national title. And then over the next couple of years, you saw him kind of deal with some similar things in terms of how people were knocking his game, saying he couldn't do this, couldn't do that. It's like, no, man, he was always, he's always been Trevor Lawrence. So why that happens, I think that the college popularity and the immediate accomplishments, I think, have something to do with that as far as putting a rest to it. Hey, man, play well and get the ball to all these weapons and it'll all go away. And I can't wait to see how that happens. And if it happens, we'll all look forward to it. Let's do it. let's go ahead and get to our first break here. We'll come back and answer a whole bunch more of your questions here on the mailbag edition of the Drive Time Podcast with Travis Wingfield. That's me, brought to you by Auto Nation. Back here on the Drive Time Podcast with Travis Wingfield, that's me, your host. We are brought to you by Auto Nation. And we pick it right back up here on this mailbag edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Also, have a written piece up on MiamiDolphins.com, taking a look at some of your questions and getting into the nitty-gritty on that portion of the mailbag as well. So if you have not done that, go ahead and check that out on MiamiDolphins.com. This next question here comes in from at David O'Haver. Favorite and least favorite Quentin Tarantino films? What a great question. I have a tie for my top films. They are Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards. Just I think both of those films are positively perfect. Jamie Foxx is incredible. So is Leo DiCaprio and then Brad Pitt. And, uh, Oh man, why did I forget his name? Oh man. The, the, the guy, the German guy, he's also, he's also in Django. I forgot his freaking name, but he's an incredible, incredible actor. And he kills it in both of those movies. Um, and then my least favorite one, I I gotta say it's once upon a time in Hollywood. And I think, I think pre movie hype is so important when you go in like I hate when someone tells me that's a, oh, it's great. You got to go see it or, or vice versa, because that sets the expectation. And I think it changes in a lot of way, your ability to enjoy it the way you, the way you, that you should. And so I was so excited for that movie to come out because obviously Leo and Brad Pitt and Quentin Tarantino, like that's a trio. That's like, you know, that, that is Aikman, Irving and Smith. That is Manning, Harrison and Edgerin James. That's like the best trio you can imagine. Right but I was just bored the entire time. I don't know. I didn't like it very much. So Django and Inglorious Bastards, and then my least favorite was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. From at Tominick1, who is your dream selection at 102? You know, you never really know what's going to happen when you're at that portion of the draft. Every single year, you get guys that you like that kind of fall in the draft a little bit. So potentially, potentially that. And I think that, you know, I've talked about the center position being an area that I like a couple of guys at the running back position, the linebackers. I think there's some edge depth this year that could help that position get strong into the third, fourth, fifth round, or look strong, I should say. Um, I've talked about these names a lot. Uh, Luke Fortner from Kentucky, the center, Cole Strange, also a center from Chattanooga. Just very, very interesting in the way those guys process and the way they get out in space. Pierre Strong Jr. from South Dakota State is one of my favorite players in this draft class. Very curious to see where he goes because he he has what I call like urgency increasing ability in the defense, because if you miss an arm tackle in the first gap on him, he might go the distance. And that I think is, uh, it really can help impact the way you defend the run and ultimately the play action passing game. I also put on my list here, Darian Beavers from Cincinnati. He's a a quasi, you know, hybrid linebacker, off ball, on ball type of guy. And I just like the way he plays the game. So there's, there's all kinds of players that could be a, a selection there. I can't. I can't narrow it down to one player at this stage. Just it's just not possible. From at camo three three five is the draft now all about center Alec Lindstrom and punter Matt Ariza. I understand the question, but I want to make sh- I want to make use I want to use the question I should say as an opportunity to kind of make a point here, and that's that you should never make the draft about one or two players. That's just asking to get into a situation of desperation, and that's never a good place from which to make decisions from. As for Lindstrom and Ariza, just looking up Lindstrom, and I I talked to him at the combine. He was phenomenal, gave us great sound bites on Matt Applebaum. But just looking at the uh, draft network and pro football focus, both have him projected as a sixth round draft pick. And I guess we'll see on Ariza, neither sites have draft projections for him because I I don't know if they do punters because he is a punter. So I think the answer to that is no. And that would be the same with any two players that you listed there. Next one here from at Patty Perk. Oh boy, here we go. Always know they're going to be good from Patty Perk. Travis, do you think it's fair to call a professional fighter the most dangerous man in the world when they're hurting like 50 to 100 people max and there are still people out there teaching tens of thousands of children how to bunt? (laughs) (laughs) Pat, you have checked off two of my favorite boxes here, talking about baseball and talking about analytics and, you know, genius as always. But in the words of Brad Pitt as Billy Bean, if if they lay down a bunt, don't try to be a hero and throw the ball to second base. They're giving you an out. Just take it. And to mix mash Brad Pitt, as Billy Bean quotes, I pay you to get on first, not to get thrown out second. So yes, stop all bunting, all sacrificing, all stealing bases, because that's not the way Moneyball works. In fact, I have a high school baseball story for you. Eat your heart out, Big Seth, if you're listening out there. So I baseball was my game growing up. I think I made that pretty clear here. Uh, I was a... Th- three-year letterman in high school and I started every game at second base those three years on my varsity team and um, there was another guy that was like our top five batters in the lineup could all do damage and then after that it was a big drop-off and so we had to score our runs in those first five batters and at my junior my sophomore and junior season there was one guy who was a year older than me who was a hell of an athlete he had a better chance for a scholarship than just about anybody on the team but Literally, everything about his game spelled leadoff hitter, and everything about my game was designed for a two-hitter. He was more patient and worked the count better than I did. I swung at the first pitch like every damn (laughs) bat. He was way faster than I was, and I was a much better bunter than he was because this was before analytics came into the baseball. A much better bunter, in fact, I should say. In fact, I stole base hits all the time with drag bunting, dropping that thing right down inside the third baseline, but at the risk of sounding like Uncle Rico, I had this theory because if my coach would put me in state, we would have won state, right? That's how it goes. But my buddy Paul, Paul, my buddy, uh, he was also on the basketball team with me, and we were really good friends. He was co MVP, a uh, runner up for his MVP his senior season hoops too, so a very good athlete. But he agreed with me on this theory, so it's not just uh, Uncle Rico theory out there. But I'm convinced that we hit Paul in the two hole behind me. Because I was on base right around 500, to, and especially le- leading off games. like The first pitch was always a groove fastball, and I always jumped on it and lined that thing into left, right in front of the left fielder. It was like a, a every single doubleheader we played, that was how they started them off. So with me on first, they could then dial up a drag bunt for Paul, and he puts it down. If it's a bad one and gets thrown out at first base, it doesn't count for an at-bat, so it helps him with the sack bunt and a chance to get a base hit, which helps his batting average, which helps our coach sell the player to college coaches. So I had a better batting average than Paul that year, but he went on to Lewis and Clark State, which if you guys don't know, it's in Idaho, and it's like the premier Division II baseball school who's won like 30,000 World World Series champions or whatever they're called, but he won four straight rings at LC State. So I had the first laugh. Paul had the last laugh. That's my crazy theory. Next question here from at Hassan Patel. Why is the dig route the most intercepted route and lowest completion percentage of quarterbacks? How does Tua compare to the rest of the NFL on throwing dig routes? Well, I saw the tweet you're talking about or someone talked about evaluating throws over the last X amount of years and the dig route had the lowest completion percentage and highest interception rate. To, uh, to me, it's because that's where the most traffic is. And you get a tipped ball, it's more likely to come down in someone's hands. Uh, that would make the most sense. Just, uh, you know, more traffic. That's ba- basically what it is. And I saw the analytic. I think it's very interesting. But I think I saw the suggestion that that thread spawned was like, should we not throw the ball to that area? And I can't agree with that because that's, I mean, middle of the field throws are the majority of football plays. Now, as to your question, I actually think that's one of Tua's of best throws. We saw him hit Mac Hollins on that fourth down dig in the Jaguars game, just an absolute dot. We saw him hit Mike on a crossing route, more of an over than a dig, in that same game. We've seen him hit—excuse me—we've seen him hit those little pop shots/slash quick hitters to Mike and Durham down the middle. Parker makes all kinds of hay on those in-breaking routes and dig routes. I think square ins and digs and slants are some of Parker's best routes. And then, of course, the 57-yard hit to Jalen Waddle—that was a dig. I think that Tua's anticipation on that route and his ability to throw kind of away from, you know, planted defenders or leverage in that intermediate portion of the field and his ball placement are all really strong suits. In fact, Pro Football Focus had Tua last year on intermediate middle of the field throws, which is basically where digs wind up, 56.1% completion, but 9.2 yards per attempt. And you compare that YPA to the other intermediate throws the 10 to 19 yard range left or right it's 6.2 and 5.5 so I think that middle portion of the field is a very very big strength of Tua Lois. at Rob E digital how many primetime games do you think the Finns get this season it's a great question I'm not really sure I think there's a good chance for a couple for a number of reasons for a couple of reasons I should say one You have an exciting team that has shown signs of improvement this offseason and is really starting to boost the marquee attraction idea, right? Not just the recent additions, but returning players who are developing reputations as big-time players in their own right. We saw what Waddle, Phillips, and Holland did just a season ago, already becoming household names after one year. And we had Jeff Darlington do our Spaces show a couple weeks ago with me, Seth, and OJ on Twitter Spaces Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock. Don't miss those. And he talked about how the Dolphins could be a very attractive team for primetime, but that sometimes that takes a year for it to happen. So like 2023. The other reason is to just look at the other teams on the schedule that are a great looking draw on paper. You know, two Bills games and Patriots games. The 49ers and McDaniel and Shanahan. You know, that's obviously a, a very attractive draw. The Packers, anytime Aaron Rodgers is in the mix, there's a, a big time draw for that. The Chargers with, and Bengals with Tua and Herbert and Burrow and, you know, the Bengals being the runner up conference champions the Ravens are always a good matchup for Miami really the entire AFC North and you know we had two last year so I'll guess one more this year and go with three but I I have no idea let's do one more here before the break and we'll get to some more this is from at Mitch Davis Mitch J Davis I should say Mitch what's up man one of my best buddies from back home he says hi Travis what's your all-time favorite episode of South Park and who's your favorite South Park character well that's an impossible question Mitch and you know that but <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say that for me, my character is Jimmy Vollmer. I love Jimmy. Tally would be my vote, but he's not recurring enough. But when he joins Randy at Tegrity, every line he says just takes me out. So he would be up there if he was a little bit more featured in the show. Uh, the episode where he's a camp counselor with Jimmy is up there for sure. But I think the motorcycle, the Harley Rider episode is my favorite. But man... How can you really pick? Like, the World of Warcraft episode, Cartman Land is a great throwback, all the stuff with the election back in 2016, and the internet trolling was just pure genius. They're all, It's always genius. I think I told you this season that I loved, Mitch, talking to you specifically, that I loved the paintball episode. Like, this, the show is just the greatest of all time. And I'll go with Jimmy as my favorite character, and the motorcycle or Harley episode as my favorite. All right. Our last break here on this mailbag edition of the drive time podcast. Keep it locked right here. We'll come back and finish up here brought to you by auto nation. Back here on the mailbag edition of the drive time podcast. We have a whole bunch more to get to here. Let's go ahead and keep things cranking. This one from at one Leo F who do you think they, or what position that will have them trade back into the draft, into the second round using a pick from the 23 draft. All right. So is there a player or position that would cause them to want to go up and use a future draft pick to get back into round two? I believe is is what that question was. Uh, it varies every year, man, but just for the baseline, like pick 33 of the Jimmy Johnson draft value chart is 580 points. Pick 64 is 270 points. And the medium between picks 16 and 17 is 415 points. That's kind of the baseline to work off of. But I think, I think I recall was it Alfonso Smith, a cornerback from Wake? The Broncos came back into the second round like five or six years ago, or maybe it was more than that, I don't know. Uh, to select to select that cornerback from Wake. I think it was Alfonso Smith and they shipped the following year's first round pick to the Seahawks, but I don't think it's happened since then, but it definitely varies. And as far as the player or position, I, I, there's no way I can answer that. There's just no possible way I can answer that for you. Uh, next question from at Ricardo, a bunch of numbers Will the dolphins continue to place an equal emphasis on the success of the defense. Now that they have an offensive minded head coach. So, you know, coach talked a little bit about preparing for this head coaching role For the last 15, 20 years, you know, talking about he would have been a fool to have not taken advantage of the opportunity to learn the job from the coaches he's been around his whole career, which are some of the most accomplished coaches that we've seen uh, in the NFL the last couple of decades. And I think the best coaches, you know, all head coaches really don't consider themselves a one side of the football type of coach. Now he's spoken to his defensive philosophy quite a bit. And when I had him on the podcast, he talked about doing what's best for the Miami Dolphins to win games. If that's 13, 10, great. If it's 44 to 40, also great. But I mean, you look at the imports on free agency on offense, those were great, but also the defensive retention was great too, with Ogba coming back. You know, obviously X and Byron are, are two very accomplished players that, have either recently signed here or got contract extensions here or, or, you know, raises to that to that point as well. Accomplished veterans. We saw Roberts, Riley, Egwaban coming back. Needham with a second-round tender. Adding Pat, Sam, and Steve Gregory to the secondary uh, in the coaching realm. I think they have demonstrated plenty of emphasis on the defensive side this year, and that will not change. At Brother of Mine asks... Thoughts on your boy Channing sharing weird personal stories. Man, that's Channing being Channing. Wouldn't have him any other way. He's the best storyteller I've ever met in my entire life. In fact, last year at the draft party, back in the green room, we were there early to kind of prep and go through our lines and go through our ad reads and kind of how the show would work. For a solid 90 minutes, we just kind of sat and ate and talked. And I didn't say a word the entire time because he and Joe Rose were back there sharing stories. And all I wanted to do was listen to them Never change. That's my thought for Channing Crowder. At uh, MIA defense, how do you feel about no additions to the front seven on defense? Still fill pass rush is a concern. No additions, but no losses either. And, and for a team that finished fifth in the NFL in sacks, second in QB pressures, third in QB pressure rate, tied for first in QB knockdowns, I'm not sure where the disconnect is there. You know, Ogba has been as good and as consistent as they come since he got here back in 2020. Andrew Van Ginkle's gotten better every single year. Jalen Phillips, I think showed you some of the upside there last year by breaking the rookie franchise sack record with eight and a half of which, by the way, seven of those came in the second half of the season. So I think those guys, you know, Jerome Baker's ability to get after the quarterback, Sam Egovan, Duke Riley had some sub package pass rush production the last couple of years. Uh, on the interior, Christian Wilkins is getting better every year. Raquan Davis as well. Adam Butler had some some good pressure on the interior. Zach Sealer just kicks ass everywhere he lines up. So I, I don't know. I mean, if if they if they repeat those numbers with the same guys coming back, I would be very very happy with that. At Don underscore Smalls always wanted to know which fin players are cat people. Me too. Me too. I might have to ask this year though, because I don't know anybody that does or feels that way. The only thing that comes to mind is the great Brian Hartline thank you ad joke from back in, what was that, 2014 with the cats and the sweaters. To be continued, Don. We'll come back to this. At Rudy7, uh, R-U-T-E-Y-7. Ready, Rudy? Why did we concentrate on the left side of the offensive line instead of right tackle? Is it more important to Tua to have a clean front pocket than to have certain protection from his blind side? I think this used to be a lot bigger of a deal than it is now. Uh, but first, I don't think there was necessarily a side preference, but rather a player preference. Like, I think you look... You, you add the consensus top tackle available and the consensus, you know, top three or four guard available this offseason. You have to feel great about that, regardless of where they play. Now, as for the side, it used to be you always put your best pass rusher on the quarterback's blind side, right? But that started to kind of shift. I remember with Julius Peppers and eventually Cam Wake also did all of his rushing off the offensive line's right side. Now you've got top line rushers playing both spots all of the. Uh, Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa, I think, both play left end. And, and rush the right tackle, don't they? So I don't think it's as important, especially with how athletic pass rushers are nowadays, and consequently how the offensive line has responded by getting more athletic in their own right. That you have matchups that teams want to go after, and you can, you know, slide protection and find the best way to get all four or five ba- uh, rushers blocked up. So I just don't think it's like as important. And again, we don't have, uh, we know that Teron Armstead's a left tackle because coach told us that. Besides that, we don't really know what it looks like yet. We have a long, long, long way to go until we know what it looks like at pbomb underscore jump 85 I hope I got that right but it's tough to get so we'll see uh, favorite show to fall asleep to it's for me it's always sunny in Philadelphia it has to be a show I've seen a million times and that's one of them that I can you know doze off and not feel like I'm missing something I'm the most intent TV watcher if I'm watching a show I'm I'm watching that damn show so it has to be one I've seen a thousand times and it's always sunny right now is that show it's been the office before but right now it's always sunny. At the Dustin Lawson, at what point do we acknowledge that cosmic brownies are literal garbage? I have no idea what those are. Give me a second, I'll come back and look them up. Okay, so we're talking about a little debbie snack <laughs> yeah man i'm I'm not I'm really particular with my treats and my desserts. I always tell my wife this: if I'm gonna burn an opportunity to eat dessert and you know I'm not a health nut by any means, but I try to eat decent and have you know one or two desserts a week at most. if I'm going to go get dessert, I'm saving it for something that's atop my power rankings every single time. I'm not going to burn it on something like a Cosmic Brownie, which for me is always ice cream or cookies. So a Blizzard is a go-to for me. I also like Cold Stone, Uh, but so are the Publix Bakery chocolate chip cookies. In fact, my wife banned those from the house because they're too damn good to neglect. Let's go ahead and keep this rolling here. At MindFunk21, do you think Julio Rodriguez should start the season on the Mariners, or do you think he's to Tacoma bound. Sorry about that. Uh, a Tacoma Rainiers. Oh, a thousand times yes for opening day starter. Start him in the outfield and play him every single day. I don't care if there's growing pains. He's already a stud. To me, he's the best prospect the Mariners have had since King Griffey Jr. I'll die on that hill. Did you see the inside the park home run the other day? Guy's a freak. He's, he's going to be one of the best players in baseball. Put him in there right now. At Christo, a bunch of numbers. I've been a fan since George Wilson. That's the first coach in Dolphins history for those of you that don't go back that far. Can you recall another year when our beloved Finns have made such a promising and dynamic move to open up a league year, or moves, I should say? I can't. Finns up all the way. Love the excitement, love the uh, enthusiasm. I think probably the early two thousands, was that the David Boston edition or the junior sayao edition? Thurman Thomas. I know those guys were, you know, a little bit past their primes, but they were big time names. It's tough to quantify. I mean, twenty thirteen was a big time offseason that certainly wasn't anything like Tyreek Hill and Teron Armstead, but it was a you know, a lot of players came in. But yeah, I man, I think the excitement is reflected in what you see on social, but then also the season ticket memberships going off the boards like hotcakes right now. And the expectation of every game being a sellout. That's that, that to me is the quantification of that. Next question from at Austin fence fan. Is there any intrigue of keeping Jackson at left guard and having the most athletic left side in the national football league? I like that uh, distinction there. Cause both him and Tehran can move really well. The only thing we know for sure is Tehran's left tackle according to coach. So I think everything is on the table and that's one of the options, right? I think that's certainly within the the realm of possibilities. Uh, At Diamond Dodger, drive time never disappoints. Thank you for that. I believe Tua takes a big step forward this year for seemingly obvious reasons. Gaze into your crystal ball. Do 2023 number ones become down the road replacements for key positions or are they trade assets to bring in more established talent? That's the beauty of flexibility, right? First, I think you have to see what happens this year and where those picks wind up, but they are a great resource to have, and you know, every year, your first-round pick is your best resource, in my opinion, to either go get a rookie or a veteran, but the resource you have to improve your roster, it's great to have a couple of those. It's a great question, but I think it's just a little bit too early to ask because we have no idea what 2023 needs will be, but I appreciate the question. At Ry Fox, how much fires... Uh, how much fires up could a pulse check be if a pulse check could be fired up? I mean, it's not a question. That, it is a question. I don't have an answer for it. I just wanted to go ahead and put it on here and give you your flowers, Rye. Well done, my friend. And the answer for me, when in doubt, always go with seven. So, seven. At Merton Marcus, do you consider visiting the German Dolphins podcast, Dolphins Drive? I would love to. I'll reach out to you right now via DM. Sound good, Marcus? At GM underscore hindsight, would love to hear a deep dive into Tyreek Hill's 2021 big plays as a chief to either confirm or dispel these narratives that number 10's career is over because he won't be catching 50-yard passes five times a game in Miami. Uh, I w- that sounds like a really fun summer project. I'll put it on the calendar. Let's circle back to that. At Seth Levitt, uh, Seth, my goodness, man. Why are or not... It's at Team Levitt, but you guys know Seth Levitt. Why are the last two minutes of an NBA game so important? Because, Seth, that's where the games are usually decided... But also, plenty of games get wrapped up before that. So there's always these runs in the NBA of points back and forth that I've learned to really be patient within the game and let it play out. The last game I went to was the Spurs in February. The heat were down 45 or 40 to 25 at the first quarter. Not a good start, but they won by like 20, so it goes on. Two more here from at Brazil Candido. Where do Tyreek Hill and Waddle line up on the field together? Who gets the boundary spot? Who in the slot? And what is the usage like? Well, who's the who's the field type receiver? We don't know. Um, anywhere and everywhere is what I put down. I mean, literally think of it and you could think of endless permutations. But since we are a bit of an on the nose podcast, here are some numbers for you. Last year, Waddle, this is all from Pro Football Focus. 406 out wide, 485 in the slot, 12 otherwise. Like backfield or in line. Last year, Tyreek Hill, 520 out wide, 508 in the slot, 16 otherwise. And just to go back off the Niners usage last year, because this all is going to be 2022 Miami Dolphins, right? We don't know, but this is a good way to look back and see what you might be able to get from uh, previous production. The 49ers' top four snap takers were Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayoub, Jawan Jennings, and Trent Sherfield at uh, receiver. So, Samuel was 591 wide, 239 slot, 124 otherwise. Ayuk uh, was 854 wide, 202 slot, 7 otherwise. Jennings, 216 wide, 212 slot, 2 otherwise. And Sherfield, 247 wide, 39 slot, 8 otherwise. Now, to use a the McDanielism, there's probably some overlap there, but the roles of this team will present themselves and evolve as we go along, right? So, Great question there. I want to go ahead and finish up with this one. Uh, We have two more that I didn't get to that are in the written mailbag up on MiamiDolphins.com, as well as that one from Brazil Candido. Let's go ahead and finish up here with one that I can't possibly answer because it's a great question. Uh, From mclifford36, name someone you would slap Chris Rock style and go. (laughs) Uh, Let's do this. I'll say anytime someone talks about what a player can't do, and ignores what they can do. I want to know what players can do, not what they can do. That's my Chris Rock slap. All right, that's my time. We went very long on this edition. Thank you so much for the questions. We'll do these more often for you guys and get a lot of them answered and get your thoughts here on the Drive Time podcast. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins across all social channels. Check out the Fish Tank with Seth and Juice, the YouTube channel for media availabilities, for the drive-time player interviews with the free agents there, as well as Dolphins Today. And of course, last but not least, for the written mailbag, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's coming home.